Hello, friends, and welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Today, we're going to get a little bit meta with Conversations with a Wounded Healer because my guest is Andrea Klunder. And if you actually listen all the way towards the end of each episode, you'll know that Andrea is my editor. And if you've listened to the first episode, you'll also know that that Andrea's podcast, The Creative Imposter, it's what I tell the, the story about in the first episode and how I kind of came across this idea of launching conversations with a wounded healer. So this is kind of a circular, like, would this even exist if I'd never met Andrea? Mwaha! Like all these crazy things. So I'm excited to share this interview with you. And Andrea not only is a podcast editor, she is a host of her own podcasts, Creative Imposter, as well as Podcast Envy. And I'm just going to read what it says on her website because I love this. Andrea Klunder, podcast boss, creative imposter, purveyor of urban meditation experiences, authentic voice whisperer, facilitator of brave space for creative women. I absolutely love it. And, you know, Andrea is one of those people that seems to know everyone. It's, it's like, you know... We're five degrees of Kevin Bacon. We're five degrees of Andrea Klunder. She was one of these people when you friend her on Facebook, we find out we have like all these mutual friends. And I ran across her. I think it was my friend, Karen, who I saw that that Andrea had this meetup group about co-working spaces, basically just, you know, spending time with other women and to see what Andrea has grown over the past several years into this really intentional community of creative and empowered women. It's so cool. And, you know, listening to her speak, I, I think you'll hear this as, as you hear her tell her stories. There's so much questioning. Questioning is really the thing that I hear when Andrea describes who she is and what she does is this questioning at the end of the day of, did I do it right? Is it good enough? And I totally resonate with all of those things. And the reason I wanted to be on Creative Imposter, her show was not just to talk about shame from a clinical perspective, but to talk about it from a personal perspective, because perfectionism is incredibly debilitating. I'm not diagnosing Andrea as a perfectionist here, but I do hear a lot of the qualities that we share in the interview that she gave. So I hope that you're inspired by this. She tells a lot of really cool stories, and I think that you'll resonate with a lot of what she shares. So please enjoy my interview with Andrea Klunder. Hello, Andrea. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. How are you? I'm great, Sarah. And it's super weird because as soon as I hear you say that, I feel like I should be editing, right. not speaking. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Like, welcome, except you're always here. <laughs> I'm always here. I'm always hearing your introduction. I'm uh -huh. always there. <laughs> I always. I love that. And it's funny whenever I'm recording somebody else, I'm like, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Andrea does this. And sometimes they're like, hi, Andrea. And of course, you hear that and then you edit that out. But like, you're like a little angel. I love when I hear clients as they're recording, like say a little message or say, oh, yeah, we're just going to edit that part out. Right, right. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's for me. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm really excited to have you today because if you and I had not done my interview on your podcast, we probably wouldn't even be here. So mm. you are the mother of Conversations with the Wounded Healer. Wow. Feels very, I don't know, nurturing and motherly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, for I mean, for anyone who's listened to the first episode, you know, that I tell the story of my experience of being interviewed with you and what happened afterwards and the fact that you do all the editing. There is no fucking way that I would be able to do that. And that's why because I had first come to you initially to one of your seminars and was like, yeah, I want to do a podcast and, and thinking that my partner and I were going to edit them together and then realizing that was ridiculous and that's not going to happen. So <laughs> thank goodness you exist. Yes, I'm very glad that I exist. Yay! <laughs> so are a lot of people, I imagine. <laughs> well, you want to tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I'm Andrea Klunder. I recently have adopted the title of your podcast boss. And I don't mean just hey, yours. Girl. I mean, like, whoever wants to listen to me and be bossed around by me in the world oh, of podcasting. Oh, I love podcasting. that. 
But what I do is a number of things. So I produce two podcasts. The Creative Imposter is my primary show. And that is a show that is all about creativity, imposter syndrome, entrepreneurship, mindfulness, and doing this creative thing out in the crazy chaos of the world without feeling overwhelmed, run down, self-doubt. Well, you can feel those things, but like how to keep doing stuff, even though you feel those things. Mm -hmm. And then my other show is called Podcast Envy, and that is the newer show. And that podcast is really centered around the craft of podcasting. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of a response to the podcasting space in general. And a lot of the digital online marketing space, I think, is very masculine dominated. And so when you try to find like a how-to video or a tutorial, you click it and then it starts playing. And then it's somebody who's like in your face, waving their hands around and like yelling about taking your podcast to the top and making six figures. And I'm like, no, I can't. No, (laughs) no, not at all. So I'm giving a big thumbs down right now. And so I kind of wanted to create a response to that where it's still a high energy show and it's still motivating, but with all all that hypey stuff. Yeah, because that's very inauthentic. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's authentic for some people. Well, <laughs> I'm going to judge that and say, no, they haven't found their true selves yet because <laughs> that's, yeah. Ugh. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then besides producing those podcasts, I also do podcast launch coaching, which is how you found me through a Mm -hmm. class that I was teaching Mm -hmm. and editing for other shows. And my editing clients tend to be just by magic of how you attract certain things. They tend to be women with shows that are about holistic healing, Mm. well-being, having a healthier lifestyle creativity, art, mindful entrepreneurship, that Mm -hmm. tends to be who I seem to attract into my work. And I also teach a podcasting and digital journalism program at a high school in Chicago for students who have diverse learning styles, challenges, special needs, etc. And all of that podcasting stuff, weirdly, is built on a foundation of having been a yoga and meditation teacher for over 10 years And also a background in theater and performance and creative arts. So that's Mm -hmm. that's kind of it in in a very enormous nutshell. Right. Well, that's one of the reasons that I wanted to interview you. And when when I emailed you and said, yeah, when are you going to be a guest? And you're like, what? I'm a wounded healer. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, I think, you know, you qualify in many different arenas to to kind of be in that category. And you use the word attract like Mm -hmm. to the people that are called into your life. And I find that word coming up a lot with people on this podcast. And like, you've heard it all. So, you know, I'm not going to qualify everything like you've heard already, blah, 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 because we can continue (laughs) to do that. As seen on episode three. (laughs) Right, right. But that word keeps coming up. And so I think that there's some correlation between the language that we use and the way in which we might allow ourselves to view ourselves in this kind of healing sort of lens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And it's funny because transitioning from identifying myself primarily as a yoga and meditation teacher, and I had my own yoga studio in Lincoln Park for five years, and I very much had my identity wrapped up in this persona of Mm. yoga teacher, meditation practitioner, yoga studio owner, entrepreneur. And then when I started shifting and taking less yoga teaching work and more podcast production work, I had this huge identity crisis problem of, but am I not a yoga teacher anymore? Am I abandoning Mm. that persona? Am I done with that? Do I stop talking about it and just secretly do it on the side because it has nothing to do (laughs) with my marketing and branding for podcasting? Like, why would I learn how to podcast from a yoga teacher? Do I need two separate websites? Do I have five Mm. websites? What is happening with the language that I'm using to describe the the work that I do? And it, it took a while to sort of sort that out, but I feel like... Like there's a way to still have that part of my identity in terms of the yoga and the meditation where it's not necessarily that that's the primary thing that I'm selling, but it is the, I want to say backbone or flavor that is like the through line that goes through all of my work in terms of how I approach the services that I'm selling. Well, and I think earlier you used the word foundation Mm -hmm. and 
you know, when I think of it's it's funny, I guess it would be a great exercise to ask other people what they think of your brand, because when I think of your podcast, The Creative Imposter specifically, I definitely think about wellness and self-care and meditation and all those sorts of things, even though that's not necessarily what you say it's about. It's the way that you carry yourself. And that is the foundation. Yeah. And I think that I probably would not necessarily have arrived at the type of media that I'm creating or the way that I'm going about creating media without having had that experience as being Mm -hmm. fully, thickly in the yoga meditation. I even used to do therapeutic body work without having that background and that ability to really tune into people's energy and listen and respond to what people need energetically in the moment. And actually, Mm -hmm. that's a huge part of the work that I do with high school students. Mm -hmm. That was never something that I imagined myself doing or set out to do. I sort of fell into that work because I needed paid work, like making podcasts is great and fun, but it's Mm -hmm. not that easy to make money from making podcasts. Right, right. And this teaching opportunity came up at this high school and they were like, we need a last minute digital journalism teacher for high school students downtown from South and West Side neighborhoods in Chicago who have special needs like autism and Down syndrome. So we need somebody who has Mm. teaching experience, experience working with teens, experience working with special needs and digital media. And I'm like, who has that? I don't have that. (laughs) Right. Wow. (laughs) You know, my partner was the one who saw that opportunity because it was an organization that he was working with on a different project. And he's like, this is you. And I'm like, no, it's not. Mm. What are you talking about? I don't have that experience. And he's like, well, you've worked with teenagers. Mm-hmm. Check. In the yoga world. Mm-hmm. You have experience with people with special needs, but it was small children, like kindergartners or preschoolers. Mm. And you have journalism experience. I'm like, journalism experience, how? He's like, podcasting. I'm like, podcasting isn't journalism. And he's like, well, yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's storytelling. Yeah. It's storytelling. It's using digital media. Mm -hmm. It's communication. And so I had this Mm -hmm. huge imposter thing, even as I was reaching out about this teaching job. I don't know Mm. how to teach a high school journalism program. And I was quickly looking for books on Kindle, high school journalism programs and curriculum. I was like, I have no idea what I'm supposed Mm -hmm. to go in there and do. And then I got in the classroom and I was so nervous. I don't know what it's like to teach someone who is on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to work with someone who has Down syndrome. I don't know if some of them are fairly nonverbal. So how do you make a podcast with a student who either doesn't really speak often or when they do speak, they're extremely difficult to understand? How do you do that? And what I found was it was really my meditation and yoga training that allowed me to A seem like I was really calm. (laughs) Right, right. Fake it till you (laughs) make it. And not have a panic attack. And two, to be really present and just spend the first couple of weeks with a lesson plan, but it was very loose. And most of what I was doing was just trying to interact with the students and observe, 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 and ask questions and get to know them and see what works for them and what doesn't work for them. And when I approach it from that, people are like, oh, how do you work with diverse learners? How do you work with students with special needs? And there's definitely research that I've done. And I've asked a lot of questions of their regular teachers and of their Mm -hmm. principal. And, you know, I'm reading things and listening to things. So there's skills that I'm learning as I go. But a lot of it is really just being present with them and treating them like you would treat anybody else and adjusting my expectations and what I'm bringing to the table based on what I see them responding to, which is so much of the yoga and meditation. Well, that's what I was going to say. I imagine that when one first becomes a yoga teacher, you plan everything out and you have in your head the sequences and the cues and all the stuff. And then as you gain confidence and more skill, you probably just go in there and wing it, right? Based on what people can do and can't do and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so I imagine it's Same thing. I think it relates so much to what I do in group work. Like I have a very loose like plan whenever I go in to run a group and I just riff kind of based on whatever the clients bring in. So it's same, same. Totally. You'll walk into a yoga class and you have this great lesson plan. You've got maybe a playlist that is timed perfectly out to the sequence <laughs> that you want to teach. You've got this and awesome theme. Shavasana. And oh, yep, you like- walk in. <laughs> 
everyone's just like laying flat out on the floor when you walk in <laughs> and you just feel like everyone's energy level is so low. And mm. in that moment, you have a choice as a teacher. Do you yeah. just move forward with your plan because it's so awesome and you spent a lot of time working on it and planning it out? Or do you check in and say, how's everyone feeling today? Do you want to be energized or do you want to just keep it chill and stay low to the ground? You know, and yeah. you got to ha- kind of have to read that and be able to adjust and say, well, just because I'm feeling this way doesn't mean that my students are and, and decide, mm-hmm. am I going to deliver the plan or am I going to deliver what I think my students need? Right. And in that, I also hear that one has to really let go of ego. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not easy. <laughs> no, right. And thank God for meditation and helping to recognize when that is coming up and saying, hi, hi, I have things to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, that happens too in my high school work where that environment is very unpredictable too, because you yeah. constantly have interruptions. You have students being pulled out for like speech therapy. You have field trips happening with other teachers that you weren't expecting. You're trying to record a podcast and then the intercom buzzes and says, excuse me, Miss Clunder. You know, you're like, Mm -hmm. ah, we were right in the middle of something. And I find myself throwing these little temper tantrums every once in a while that are very Mm -hmm. ego driven, where it's almost like I can see myself behaving in a way that I do not approve of, but I can't stop myself. Right. Where the other day, I wanted one day where I had all of my students present for about 45 minutes so that Mm. we could record this really specific thing for our current season that I need all of the students' voices to be a part of. And I was like, can I just have one day where nobody gets taken out of my classroom Mm -hmm. and I don't get interrupted? And so the other staff members were like, okay, Tuesday, Tuesday is your day. We'll tell the other staff members they can't pull anyone out. I walk into the classroom. First thing, we have like three staff members knocking on the door. Can I see the oh student? And I was like, no, no, nope. no, you can't. Actually, no. Sorry, that student is not going on a field trip today. Yeah. Sorry, no, that student is not getting pulled out. for. Th- and they were just like, oh. And then at a certain point, I tried to say that a student was not going on a field trip. And the student was like, Miss Clunder, I want to go on that field trip. And I was like, oh, hell. It's <laughs> like, OK, you can go. Fine, fine. We're not going to do it today. It's fine. But I was like, I really could see myself like this toddler stamping my feet and being like, these are my students. Don't touch. (laughs) Don't touch. (laughs) Well, I feel like what you just shared really lends itself beautifully to segueing into the the wounded healer archetype, right? Because Mm -hmm. I hear you talking about the stuff that you struggle with and how that manifests itself when you're doing healing work, and, and we'll, we'll get to the healer stuff, I think, after the wounded healer, but I really hear this as a very healing modality that you're using for these students, right? Like, you know, in the therapy world, we've got art therapy and music therapy and all, all sorts of things. Podcast therapy is what I'm hearing this really kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have I actually have a, a whole fantasy about developing a curriculum around podcast therapy that's not just for youth, but that's for adults and children and whoever. This is a huge sort of back of mind concept that's brewing. Let's do it. I'm in. <laughs> no, seriously, like I'm in. If you if you need the clinical background, I'm in. Sweet. Yeah, Done. we need to make that because I never thought of it as that. And it makes sense. I should have known it's that. I really should have because I thought of the program as I'm trying to teach them media literacy and skills and how like (laughs) things that maybe they can use in their work life after school. Mm. And I was having a conversation with one of the full time special ed teachers that I partner with. And, you know, I was getting frustrated because there was like certain things we were trying to do and the product wasn't quite coming out the way I wanted it or that I thought it could Mm. And I felt like we were slow and we were not getting stuff done. And she's like, honestly, Andrea, just giving them the microphone, the recorder, mm-hmm. and giving them space and opportunity to talk in an uncensored way. Yeah. And then giving a space for people to hear what they have to say. That's all you need to do. And your program is already successful. Everything else is just bells and whistles. But a lot of these students... They don't have the opportunity to speak what's on their mind in a public way. Right. And they don't think anyone cares or wants to hear what they have to say. Mm-hmm. And so then when we check their show, because their podcast exists everywhere that my podcast exists mm. and everywhere that your podcast exists. And what's it called so people can search oh, for yeah. it? Oh, yeah. It's called Power Your Story. 
And it's on Apple, it's on Spotify, it's on Google Play, it's on Stitcher. You can mm-hmm. find it on YouTube and Facebook and all the places. Mm. And when I check in, you know, we log into their back end of their podcast and we look at their mm-hmm. stats, right? Their downloads. And if you're a podcaster, it's very easy to get obsessed with download numbers and stats and how many I know. people are listening to my I show. I keep and- looking. <laughs> <laughs> That's the ego piece. Go on. <laughs> totally. And, you know, you see people in Facebook groups that are like, I only have this many downloads. How do I get more? This is unacceptable. Why is this so hard to get listeners? Mm. And then I log in with my students and I'm like, you guys, 500 people have downloaded your episode. And they're like, what? Wow. 500? And a lot of podcasters would be like, 500? That's nothing. Because it's not enough to get sponsors or things like that, Mm -hmm. you know, in the professional space. But even when there were 50, when there were 50 people who had downloaded their show, they were like, 50 people wanted to hear what we have to say. And I'm like, yeah. And they're just completely blown away by that. And I think that's teens and youth in general, right? Yeah. A lot of times in our society, teens and youth are getting like eye rolls in public spaces or you're getting talked down to like their opinions aren't valid or their thoughts aren't valid. And a lot of what they have to say is actually very insightful and very brilliant. And they surprise me Mm. constantly with the things that they come up with when they have the time, the space and the platform to actually say it and to think Mm -hmm. it through. it's so therapeutic to give voice to someone who their voice is squashed or squelched, whatever word goes in there, whatever squa word goes in there. (laughs) I mean, to think of all of the special needs kids that, you know, I've, I've ever been around in any sort of capacity, whether it was as a therapist or a peer or anything like that, to think of putting the spotlight on them for a minute, like it gives me chills. Like if I were like letting myself really tap into that, I would totally start crying right now because it's so, Mm -hmm. so profound. And Mm -hmm. that, my friend, is healing work. Yeah. And I think healing for them, but also for me and for people to listen to, because it's really opened my eyes to something in society that if I had thought about it, maybe I would have seen this, but I never had a reason Mm -hmm. to really, like really think about it. How... I don't know if the word is inhospitable or hostile, Mm -hmm. even that our society is for someone who has difficulty managing everyday, quote unquote, normal social interactions, like going to a store and purchasing something and walking away with the correct change. Right. Or how unfriendly at least our city, Chicago, is for people who have to navigate in a wheelchair. There's so many places you cannot go. You Uh just cannot go. Yep. Because we have old buildings with tall staircases and it's always cheaper to rent a space on the upper floor. And so, yeah, no, you can't go to that art class or, yeah, no, you can't go to that show or you can't do this or that. And then to see like how a lot of times people will be accommodating of, you know, students who or anyone, adults or youth, whoever, who have these challenges in terms of mobility or cognitive function or social emotional function. You'll see people being accommodating almost begrudgingly. Mm, you know or you don't necessarily know right away that that person has a Mm -hmm. social emotional or a cognitive challenge right and so you're like why is this person being a weirdo why is this person (laughs) taking so long there's a whole lot of impatience and it's Mm. I was sort of blind to it until now Mm. when I've you know I've taken my students out in public and we've gone on CTA buses and we've had Mm. problems with other seemingly perfectly quote-unquote typical You would think rational adult people responding Mm. poorly, poorly to the mere presence of my student who's talking a little more loudly than is socially acceptable on a CTA bus. Do you know what I mean? Oh, goodness. (laughs) Or whatever it is. And it's, it's just teaching me to, when I'm in public spaces and I'm around other people who I don't know, to be a little bit more patient and accommodating Mm -hmm. to facilitating a welcoming space and environment and and not just Mm -hmm. automatically judging people or getting irritated with them. Well, I hear, you know, it's it's creating compassion and empathy, right? Because if my assumption is to be curious about why someone might be acting in a certain way, it's a lot different than just saying like, oh, you're doing it wrong. Or like someone, please tell that teenager to be quiet. Right. You know, or something right. like that. Yeah. I'm trying to have a conversation on my phone on the CTA bus and I can't hear. <laughs> right. Right. That's a great place to take phone calls. <laughs> Well, what so what is your response to the word healer? Because everything that you have been saying here is healing work. So I don't know if you call yourself that, but I I want to. 
<laughs> I don't think I use that terminology. I did for a brief moment when I was primarily focused on yoga, meditation, and therapeutic body work. I think the mm-hmm. time when it was easiest for me to identify with that word was when I was actually doing hands-on manual therapy. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a version of my business card at one point in time that had that word on it. Oh, interesting. In conjunction with other things. And I remember that I put it on there and it was almost like an experiment. And then I was like, oh, mm. I don't like this word on my card because I don't know why it just didn't feel right. And I could say, oh, I'm doing therapeutic work. The right. word therapeutic felt better because that implies learning and skill and technique or something like that. But with healer, I always, even in my therapeutic body work experience, we were very conscious of and taught that no matter what benefit or relief that we can give a client, ultimately, they are going to improve or get better or have less pain or release more stress or have a healthier body if they themselves are going to do some of the work, most of the work, Mm -hmm. right? I can give you a 60-minute therapeutic bodywork session, and if I am trying to undo years of you know ergonomic problems yeah. or years of emotional stress that's caused you to pull your shoulders up by your ears perpetually mm-hmm. and not even know you're doing it, and to close off your chest and round your upper back, I'm trying to undo years of that in a 60-minute session, it's probably not going to happen. You're going to feel some momentary relief and you're going to feel what it feels like to have your shoulders and your chest and everything be open. But it's not going to last because you're just going to go back to your same patterns unless you're willing to do a lot of that work. And so I would get frustrated (laughs) that I would have a client say, oh, my God, this is amazing. I'm healed. I feel so much better. And then they wouldn't do any of the things that I wanted them to do or ask them to do or shared with them. And then like a week later, they're like, oh, I feel terrible. You know, and I'm like, well... Well, duh, do what I say, you know, (laughs) like I can't do this for you. This is on you. Mm -hmm. Come on, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I think in our culture, we have this perception that we can go to someone who is a healer and get fixed. Yes, I know. And I know for myself, that's that's never going to be the case. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I actually have this story that I like to share that before I became a yoga teacher, I was taking yoga classes and I was working full time in an office setting at a nonprofit arts organization. And I had this problem on my foot. I was in my 20s, my early 20s. And I had this problem on my foot where it was basically a bunion on my big Mm. toe joint where it's calcium deposits that build up on your big toe joint and they create this hard knob. Sounds really sexy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And it was painful. My foot was hurting every day, like Mm. shoes were rubbing up against my foot, everything hurt. And so I went to, you know, full-time job back in the days when I had awesome health insurance. Yeah. (laughs) I went to a podiatrist. And the podiatrist takes a look at it. And yes, well, this is calcium deposits from undue stress on your joint. And we can do surgery to remove Mm. it. But due to the following factors, we'll probably have to repeat the surgery again in a matter of three years because it'll just come back. The factors Mm. are the fact that you're female because this particular thing tends to show up more in females. Mm. Genetics, because I guess you can be predisposed to it. And fashion, because shoes particularly shoes that women wear, smush your mm-hmm. toes together and also tend to elevate your heel and drop weight down into the the balls of your feet, which put pressure and stress. Mm-hmm. And then your body's like, ah, oh, my joint's not safe. I'm going to send calcium to protect mm-hmm. it. And then you have too much calcium density and then you have pain. And so he said, because of those factors, you will have to just keep having surgery over and over again for your whole life every few years. And I was Jeez. like, well, that's certainly not acceptable. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm 23 or whatever. Like, this is not happening. And so I was like, OK, well, what can I do besides surgery? What can I do? And he's like, nothing. <gasps> well, certainly there has to be something I can do. Well, you could, but you won't. What the <laughs> fuck so you, mad. doctor? OK, well, assuming that a miracle happened and I did, what would it be? Mm-hmm. He basically told me to wear Merrells and Birkenstocks. That was his, <laughs> his solution. <laughs> All your foot problems will wow. disappear if you wear Merrells and Birkenstocks. So I left there feeling really frustrated. Do I want to schedule the surgery? No, I'm not going to schedule the surgery because 
just something intuitively was like, don't do that. Mm -hmm. And then I went to my yoga teacher at the time who had an emphasis in therapeutic yoga. So not just sun salutations and whatever, Mm -hmm. but he had really Mm -hmm. studied the physicality of how to heal the body with yoga. And I asked him the same question. I'm like, here's what the podiatrist said. And he's just like shaking his head. And, you know, I'm barefoot in the yoga studio. He's like, walk across the room for me, which is something the podiatrist didn't bother to do. Yeah. Let me see how you walk. And so I walk across the room and he's like, stand by the wall and do some deep knee bends. Hmm. And I did. And he's like, oh, yeah, you pronate. So that's going to cause stress on the joint. You're turning your feet in towards the big toe side. Hmm. Here are a few exercises that you can do to help reverse that. Here's what to pay attention to while you're walking. Here's something you can do while you're at the bus stop. And it involved things like put your fingers in between your toes and try to spread your toes out and wiggle them around Mm. and walk barefoot on uneven surfaces any opportunity that you can. Like if Hmm. you have a yard or an outdoor space, go walk on the ground in the grass with bare feet. Wow. And so I was like, I'm going to show this doctor. Right. And I did all those things. And you know what? The bunion disappeared after several months with no surgery. Mm -hmm. And so that's a very long story just to say that my challenge with the word healer is based on the fact that I feel like so many people think that they will be healed by Mm -hmm. a person rather than doing the work themselves. Well, what I hear in that story And I guess in connection to the way that I view the word healer is that a healer is the person who creates space for somebody to heal. And the podiatrist created no space. He (laughs) very little Merrill's and Birkenstocks. Right. (laughs) And and he had this assumption. He had already decided who you were before even Mm -hmm. listening to anything about you, not even watching you walk. Right. Like all these things. Mm -hmm. He created no space. And then the yoga teacher saw you. And saw you authentically and gave an opening. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I think when I think of the term healer. And that's what I think in relation to this Power Your Story teaching opportunity for you. You are creating space for these teens to really be open and heal. Yeah. And it's in it's in the other work, too, with the coaching services for adults for podcasting. I mean, they're coming to me for podcasting advice, but... Honestly, that's part of the whole response of going against that typical thing where you have somebody saying, this is how you do it. This is the microphone you need. This is how you're going to make six figures. This is how you're going to grow your email list. Because I'm like, well, there's about 100 different ways to do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I cannot tell you the one way. Let's talk about what you want to do and what your goals are and what your challenges are. And let's see if we can problem solve that and find an experiment with some ways to make it better. Like I have one client Mm -hmm. who she recently launched her show and she had already done a ton of research. She had already bought equipment. She had already come up with a big, long list of what all her episodes were going to be. She had a very clear vision. Mm -hmm. She knew what kind of software she needed. She knew all the steps. And so why? (laughs) What do you need me? (laughs) What is worth $1,500 to you Mm -hmm. that you're going to? pay me to help you with. And she was like, I just don't feel confident with my voice. Hmm. And I feel like if I don't have the accountability and I don't have somebody helping me, I will never do this, even though I've already done all this research. I've already bought all the equipment. Hmm. And so a lot of the work that we were doing, I had not anticipated that. That was when I laid out Hmm. what that launch program one-on-one looked like for somebody. I knew that there would be room for customization, but I had not put module on being more confident with your voice. Right. (laughs) Wow. And it's something where it's like, oh, yeah, okay, well, we can work on that. What are the ways that we can, A, use technology to Mm -hmm. help support you and make your voice sound even better? Because that's a thing. You can use technology to help you. That's what it exists for. And then B, you know, what is it about your voice that is challenging you? When you listen back to it, what is it that you are not feeling great about or you're not responding to? And can we practice some things? And can we do some, can I pull from my theater background for God's sake? Right, right. And give you some voice techniques and some acting exercises Mm -hmm. that help you feel more comfortable in the way that you're communicating. And so it, it sounds like, you know, podcast launch coaching It suddenly becomes this therapeutic thing. Mm -hmm. And I even had one of my mentors who I work with, Elsie Escobar, I did a coaching program, a pretty in-depth coaching program with her last year. 
about where to go from here with podcasting. I've done this, this, and this. I'm pretty mm-hmm. happy with my show. I have a few clients, but mm-hmm. what's the next thing? And she told me to do this exercise that at first I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> right? Because whenever whenever a really good mentor or coach gives you an exercise that's specific mm-hmm. for you, you know you always have that thing. You don't want to do it because right. you know it's going to make you look at something. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. And she's like, I want you to take your audio recorder and I want you to record and not have a plan. Don't have a plan. Mm -hmm. Don't have bullet points. (laughs) Don't have a script. And don't even think of it as a podcast that you're going to show to anyone. Just Mm -hmm. make it an audio journal where it's just you and the recorder And here are a few questions I want you to consider. Ask yourself the question out loud while you're recording and then answer it while you're still recording. And she said, I want Mm. you to limit yourself to, I don't remember what it was. It was three minutes per question or two minutes per question or something like that. So that's all the time you have to answer that question. And they were questions like, what do you love to do most in the summertime? Or what would make you really happy right now? And then you're, you know, to use those journal prompts in the audio format so that you can really hear yourself saying those words, because it's one thing to look at words written down on a piece of paper. And Uh it's another thing for your brain to hear your own voice saying something. Yeah, because your Mm -hmm. brain, whatever neurobiology chemistry this is, your brain believes what it hears your voice say. And that's why I think I had the reaction I did when I heard myself recorded on your show. That's why I think I felt self-compassion in a way that I've never felt before because mm-hmm. it was outside of myself. And I it's funny because I I don't use bullet points and I don't have much of a plan. I have like the, you know, the questions that I share with you, but it, but it is all kind of spontaneous. And I I have found this being very therapeutic because yeah. when I go back and listen to the episode, I'm like, Oh, yeah, I remember I know that and I forgot that I know that and that's something I can reincorporate to my life or, you know, whatever it is, hearing myself and being able to appreciate how much I've learned in my journey. Yeah, I hear podcast guests say that frequently, especially people who haven't gone on a ton of shows or don't frequently Mm -hmm. be interviewed. They'll say, wow, I really am a lot smarter than I thought I was. Or wow, I didn't realize (laughs) I noticed that. Or wow, Mm -hmm. I sound really awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's this funny realization. And and I'll I'll be honest, I'm going to confess to you right now. I will listen to this episode and this interview because I have to because I'm going Uh to edit it. Yeah. But I hate, I hate listening whenever I'm on somebody else's show. Mm. And they're like, oh, your episode is going to post. I'm just like, like, I don't want to listen to it. I don't want to listen to it. I don't want to listen. And then I listen Mm -hmm. and it's fine. Of course. But it's always this weird thing of, oh, I don't want to hear myself. (laughs) Well, and I, you know, I'm curious to move into kind of the wounded healer stuff. You know, everything that you were just saying to me, hearing that your mentor was like, okay, go unscripted. You know, I, I definitely get the sense from you that there's this desire for control, right? And for things to look good. And to have your shit together. And I'm guessing that the creative imposter, the idea for it stemmed from some of your own internal work, right? And feeling that way. So how how do you relate to the term wounded healer? Well, first of all, you are a very perceptive therapist, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Ding! Because you basically just described everything that ruins my life on a moment-by-moment basis. <laughs> life ruined. <laughs> Hilarious. The need to be in control, right? So I don't know where it comes from. I don't know if it's partly from being the oldest child of three. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it comes from, you know, I've always been very ambitious and Mm -hmm. I was a straight A student in high school. I was very academically minded. I did things that were competitive, like I played on the tennis team and I wasn't the best player, but I did everything I could to get better and better and better. Right. The hardest working player, I bet. Maybe. And, you know, I was in theater, so I did Mm -hmm. musical theater and choir and you had to audition for stuff. And I didn't always get the lead role, but I would rehearse and rehearse and practice and practice and practice and do everything I possibly could Mm. to show up and be the best. And Mm -hmm. so I have this constant type A kind of drive. And when I am 
not in control of a situation, which let's face it is all the time. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I actually feel I'm somehow letting everyone down. Yeah. And even today, today, I I told you before we officially began Mm -hmm. that I had the flu for about a week and immediately followed by laryngitis. And then today I had to get up and go teach my high school program and I had a migraine Mm. and could not could not go. And I had Mm -hmm. to call in sick. And I was sitting there with the phone in my hand like, I can't call in sick Mm -hmm. because my students were expecting to do this today and I'm going to let everyone down and Mm -hmm. it's going to be an inconvenience. And it's like, I have a migraine. You are not in control of these things. And I'm like, I should be able to fix myself. I should be Mm -hmm. able to get better. You know, I shouldn't be sick for two weeks. And so I think that the whole idea for the creative imposter came about at a time when I was at my lowest. Mm -hmm. I had that yoga studio that I had for five years. The reason it was only five years is because I ran out of money. Mm -hmm. I could not keep it afloat. I was making money, but I was spending it and burning it much faster than I was making it. Right. And I was energetically tired. I was trying to do everything myself. There was too much to do. You know, I was (laughs) selling a yoga business and a healthy lifestyle, and I was doing none of those things myself because there just Mm -hmm. wasn't time and energy. And I had to close it. And I, at that point, had no money. I had to file bankruptcy. I had no steady, you know, I was doing like the whole online dating thing and Mm. nothing good was coming of that at that time. And I felt really isolated from my friends. Not that my friends didn't exist or weren't there, but I just hadn't spent the time building those friend relationships because I'd been Mm -hmm. too busy focusing on business. Yeah. And I just was so depressed. I did not have a job. I did not want a job. Friends were like, oh, sorry, the entrepreneur thing didn't work out. You really tried hard. You gave it your all, but maybe you should just go back and get a job. And I was like, stop stabbing me in the heart. Yeah. (laughs) Bad advice. You know, I also (laughs) didn't know if I'm not a yoga studio owner, what am I? What am I? You know, right. Mm -hmm. So I was in that whole place and listening to podcasts was about one of the only things I could manage to do other than lay in Mm. bed. That really helped me because when I was listening to these podcasts, they were entrepreneurial. They were about holistic lifestyle. There were some meditation ones that I listened to. I could imagine that podcaster's whole world Mm. and their community and their online space and their, you know, getting up in the morning and (laughs) drinking a cup of tea and recording a podcast episode, like reality or fantasy, whatever. Mm -hmm. It pulled me through that there was this hope of this thing. And I was like, you know what? I don't know how to start a new business with zero dollars. I don't know what I would want my next business to be. I don't feel like teaching yoga. I don't feel like doing this, Mm -hmm. but I think I could start a podcast. So that was sort of the beginning, and I was brainstorming these ideas of what would my podcast be about? It could be about yoga. (laughs) It could be about meditation. Mm. It could be about, you know, I had all these different ideas, and the imposter syndrome thing kept popping up in Hmm. shows that I was listening to, specifically entrepreneurial shows, where it was a topic Mm. that would get touched on, but I couldn't find a whole show about it. And it was also something that at first I was like, oh, imposter syndrome. Thank God I don't have that. That sounds terrible. (laughs) That sounds uncurable. (laughs) Yeah, that's just, uh, I'm glad of all the things I have to deal with, that's Mm -hmm. one I don't have to deal Mm -hmm. with. But it kept sticking in my mind, like imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome. And I found myself seeking out more and more episodes that were about that. And I thought a little deeper on it and did a little research. Oh, Yeah, actually, I do have this. This is a huge problem Mm -hmm. because especially in that moment, that was my whole thing, right? If I'm not a yoga studio owner, then I'm nothing. Nothing, right. If I'm introducing myself at a party, you know, or social gathering and somebody's like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, lay in bed under the covers. (laughs) (laughs) And I get paid handsomely for it, right? Like nothing else felt authentic, right? Yeah. If I even think deeper to that, even when I'm not depressed or even when I am doing stuff and people say, oh, Andrea is an expert in podcasting. I'm like, what? An Mm -hmm. expert? What are you talking Mm -hmm. about? Or, oh, Andrea is a very successful, accomplished, blah, blah. I'm like, who? What? And even this is the funniest thing. So I'm speaking at Podcast Movement this July. Mm -hmm. And Podcast Movement is the biggest conference for podcasting that exists every year. 
Mm-hmm. And I've applied to speak at so many podcasting conferences and never been picked. And I applied at the urging of my mentor mm. to speak about my high school program. So I've yeah. never applied with that topic. She actually called me out on her podcast. I was listening ha. to her podcast and I heard her say, I think it would be great if Andrea Clunder would apply for this and talk about. And I was like, oh, shoot, now I have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I applied. And when I got the email back from them that said subject line, I think it said update to speaking application at podcast movement. That's all it said. And I was like, Mm. oh, here's another rejection. Click. I read the first paragraph. We received over 600 submissions and blah, 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 blah. I was like, uh, yeah, yeah. Dump me quicker. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And they're Mm -hmm. like, we're happy to inform you that you're receiving this email because you have been selected to speak. And I was Mm. like, huh? What? Like, let me read this again. Wait, let me double check. Is this for real? Is this spam? (laughs) (laughs) And then now they have the speaking page updated. And one of their keynote speakers this year is one of my heroes in public radio, who is Terry Gross from Fresh Air. Oh, shit. Right? So when you go to the speaker page, it has Terry Gross and like a couple other keynotes who are really well known and famous. And And then my face. You can see my face and Terry Gross's face on the same freaking screen. And I'm like, oh, my God, screenshot for posterity. I'm on the same web page as Terry Gross. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Got to keep looking at it to make sure it's real. Right. You know, that's so cool. (laughs) So silly. You know, in, in all of this, I'm also hearing the irony of. You know, being a type A high achiever person, and that's the goal, right, is to manifest all of this stuff. And when you manifest it, you're still like, oh, fuck, this just can't be real. It's it's this dichotomy of I want this, but I'll never get it. And even when I get it, there's some lack of acceptance in it. It's like I have nightmares where I walk on stage and somehow I forgot that I was speaking and I didn't prepare anything and I'm not wearing right. the right clothes and I'm like uh, right <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know or or I get a phone call like Andrea we're very sorry to inform you we made a mistake you were not supposed to get that email <laughs> just that was kidding intended for someone else or you Terry know. Terry Gross specifically said she doesn't want you here like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like these are the kinds of anxiety dreams mm-hmm. that that I get where it's It's really hard. I think sometimes we water down this idea of imposter syndrome to just mean like Mm self-doubt, but it's actually deeper than that because it's it's usually the people who are very successful or have accomplished something or have done something specific who are unable to accept that. They're they Mm -hmm. like, you know, we, they, we, we reject it. (laughs) Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, let's let's be honest here. Who's our audience? Us. Right. Exactly. We we reject it. It's like, "Oh, you've done this amazing thing. We'd like to recognize you for it." And you're like, "Oh, no, I was just lucky." Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, um that must be some mistake. You're talking about somebody else or mm-hmm. I couldn't have done it without this or that. I was interviewing somebody who was saying this. Maybe it was Stacy Herrera on my podcast who was, said that she felt like the word humble should just be eliminated from the English language. Hmm. And she was just like, no, like own your shit, own mm-hmm. your accomplishments. Don't mm-hmm. don't be humble. Don't be, mm-hmm. you know, demure about like, oh, it's no big deal. You know, you don't have to be a jerk and you don't have to be bragging. Right. Look at me. I'm the best podcast coach ever, you know, but don't feel like you have to play down your accomplishments and not and not let them shine. I've found for myself, because that's something I struggle with, because I struggled in my in my own family with this message of, you know, humility was what Christians were supposed to be and yada, yada. Mm. And so either you were humble or you were bragging. And I am a really good singer. I'm just going to own that. Like, that's something that is it is a fact. And I know a lot of people when I say that, they're like, oh, that's so braggadocious. Like, no, I'm a really (laughs) good singer. It's proven. I've won awards. I've been in bands, whatever. And It was either like I am touting this or I have to say nothing about it. And I find that when I inject gratitude along with it and I say, I'm a really great singer and I'm so grateful for this gift because it's not Mm. like it's not like I cultivated this. Like I I literally popped out of the womb with these sets of vocal cords and the muscles to use them. Right. Mm -hmm. And same thing for my career. And it's easier with my career to imbue that gratitude as well, because 
I definitely like did not have any idea that this is what was going to happen to my life. Mm. And so to hold those two things at the same time, I think that's what people are looking for, right? Because it's that's the authenticity of I am here and I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm not going to back away from it, but I'm also going to tell you that it took a lot of work and a lot of gratitude. Yeah, that you just made me think of because we have that in common too. Like we're both mm-hmm. singers, right? Right. And I grew up going to church and I grew up singing in church. I think I had my first solo when I was four years old. Same, same. Through Daddy's Eyes, the Amy Grant song. That was mine. <laughs> mm-hmm. I loved Amy Grant. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I think I, I think for a very long period of time, I wanted to be her. I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. She was the shit when I was in elementary school. Seriously. I think my first solo, weirdly, though it was a church thing, was the mother-daughter banquet, and I sang Tomorrow from the musical Annie. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But I would sing these songs in church, right? And I took voice lessons, so starting, I think starting in middle school or maybe high school, Mm -hmm. middle school or high school, I actually took voice lessons from our music director at our church. And so she would give me like these really difficult songs to sing in church. Everyone else would be singing the contemporary Christian poppy Mm -hmm. sounding songs. And she would be like, you're singing this traditional classical, right? you know, something, something with this yellowed aging sheet music. Yep. I remember the cover of the book, the the, the Manila-like book with the green writing around it. Yeah, I remember that. And I, I just wanted to sing the like contemporary pop stuff. And mm-hmm. she's like, no, 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 you're going to do this. Not everyone can sing this piece, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I would sing. And the thing I hated, I loved singing in church. I loved singing in church so much. But the thing I hated was after the service. I hated when after the service, everyone would be filing out and all of these people would be coming up to me, people who I knew, people who I liked, and they'd be coming up to me and saying, Oh, Andrea, that was so beautiful. That song really touched me. That was so wonderful. Mm -hmm. Oh, I hated that so much. Mm. I did not want anyone to talk to me. Don't look at me. (laughs) Afterwards. Why did I hate that so much? Yeah. You know, certainly I wanted people to be touched. Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of hours practicing and going to voice lessons and rehearsing to get it right and to be able to do it well and to do all these things. But I think part of what I struggled with was I would hear other people in the church when someone would compliment them, they would say, oh, it's all, you know, it's all a gift from God or I'm blessed or whatever. Like they, hmm. it was like they would offset that compliment to God right, or whatever. Right. right. Yeah. And I did not feel I feel like that was what I was supposed to say. Oh, yeah. And I didn't want to because while I did believe, like you said, I was born with, mm-hmm. you know, the the physical whatever it takes to have the vocal cords that can produce that kind of sound. And I was born into a creative family Mm -hmm. and my mom, you know, always sang to us. And there's a lot of things that align that I think are divine or that Mm -hmm. are energetic or spiritual or whatever. I also knew how much freaking hard work it was to be Mm -hmm. able to sing those songs and how much effort I had put into it. But I also didn't want to say, yeah, that was really a lot of hard work to learn that song. So it felt like there was no right answer. Oh, yeah. I didn't know what they wanted back from me after they mm. would say that. And it took me a really long time till I don't even remember who it was or where it was that said, when you receive a compliment, you just say, thank you. Yeah. And I was like, what? Er, That's it. This whole time. <laughs> All I had to do was say, thank you. Mm-hmm. God. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's I doing? Shit. I've been worrying about this for so long. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And all I have to do is say thank you and it's done and it's accepted because if you say, oh, it's nothing, it's sort of like you threw their compliment back in their face. Yeah, my husband, I always tell I always tell this story when people are, are talking about like not being able to accept compliments. My husband is so sweet and he, for whatever reason, really likes when I wear like workout clothes. He's like, oh, you look so cute. And there was one day where I was going to work out and I, you know, no makeup, looking a mess, whatever. And he's like, oh, you're so pretty. And I looked at him. I'm like, ugh, or, you know, whatever, kind of throwing it back at him. And he's like, you know, it really hurts my feelings when you say that, because basically when you don't take my compliment, you're telling me that I'm stupid. And I was like, "Ooh, you're fucking right, man. Mm -hmm. So thank you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I want to say thank you. And I have to swallow whatever 
I guess it's kind of it's it's kind of this inverted ego, right? This victim piece that I, you know, I don't. Oh, no, you can't understand. I don't look good, and oh, you can't you you can't connect with me. This pushing pushing away compliments. He mm-hmm. nailed it. Saw right through it real quick. I love when our partners can get in that mm-hmm. vulnerable space of you know that hurts my feelings or right, <laughs> you know, because that happens with my partner too sometimes. Mm-hmm. He'll say something like, you know, words hurt sometimes, you know, or something like that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, oh, right. <laughs> what am I doing? But he does the same thing. He'll compliment me on something. And often often it is a physical appearance thing that I tend to push away. Right. It'll be like, I just rolled out of bed. I feel like crap. I'm kind of tired. Mm-hmm. I'm all disheveled. And he'll be like, you're really beautiful. And I'll Aww. be like, ugh. <laughs> you know, right. why would you say that right now? You know, or something like that. Yeah. It's like. Because you because. Right. <laughs> because it's not really even about how you look. That's the thing. Right. Right. It's, it's how he's feeling in that moment, mm-hmm. you know, and why am I trying to tell him, no, you don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't actually feel like I'm beautiful. Right. Right. It's so <laughs> invalidating. Well, I want to be mindful of our time. And I know we started a little bit late, but is there anything that we didn't talk about that you really want to share to our conversations with the Wounded Healer listeners? I mean, we really talked about a lot of the things that I wanted to cover. And I I think that doing this interview with you really made me think about is how you don't have to have the profession of healer mm-hmm. in order to be one. Mm-hmm. And the way that we go about our lives and the way that we interact with people and the type of listening and compassion and mindfulness and thoughtfulness that we bring to any kind of work that we do and any kind of interaction that we do, even if it's outside of work or outside of our job, can be healing and really inviting listeners and reminding myself to really think about how I want to show up in the world. And if I want to have that healing kind of presence and effect, being mindful of my interactions and how that can come across just in day-to-day life, I think is really important. Amen. That's exactly right. Well, good. Yay. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for being patient while I waited for my podcasting stool. Of Well, <laughs> the stool is very important. If you don't have your setup, then you're fucked. You have no idea how long it took me to find the right thing to sit on <laughs> while I'm podcasting. I am, I am doing that as well. I'm on my second chair now and I'm still like, oh, it's not quite right. Like I need a mm-hmm. lazy boy in my closet. <laughs> lazy boy might not give you the best vocal re- yeah, result though. I guess you're right. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank right, you. My dear. Thank you so much. OMG, you guys, did you hear that sentence? You don't have to have the profession of healer in order to be one. Nailed it. It's so cool that she said that because that's what I have found in doing this podcast. And I've just been moving through the world in a little bit of a different way, having this openness to looking for healers, right? I am looking for people to interview for this podcast all the time. And when I initially set out to do this, I thought I'm going to interview therapists, you know, therapists only, because that's the conversation that needs to be had. And yes, that's a conversation that needs to be had. But Andrea fucking nailed it, you guys. You do not have to be in a profession where someone would automatically call you a healer in order to be one. So with that message, I hope that you can consider what would it be like if I called myself a healer? What would it be like to move through the world if I considered myself a healer? And it doesn't matter what profession you have. Silly little story about that. I am outfitting a new office and ordered this love seat from Overstock.com, not a sponsor. And I did not get legs to this love seat. And it has been like 23 days that I have been calling about getting legs to this love seat. And I started the conversation with this woman today on the phone. And I'm like, all right, darling. I know this is not your fault. I'm just letting you know it's been a month. No, the legs are not under the seat. No, I have not received an email with tracking information. You know, let me just tell you all the stuff. There's a couple pages worth of notes in there about this. Just give me the motherfucking legs. And she howled with laughter. And she's like, I don't mean to laugh at you, but that's just so hilarious. And I'm like, 
I know it's hilarious. Like that's the only way I can get through being not being angry about the situation that I don't have these legs. And we just had the most human connection and conversation. And she has no idea what I do for a living. I didn't say anything about being a therapist, but at the end of the call, she's like, I just want to thank you for the way that you were and how you connected with me today. And you could have been mean to me. You could have yelled at me. And I just want to let you know that that was really special. That made my day. And that to me was a healing moment. And I wasn't her therapist. I wasn't in this profession of being healer. And none of that was necessary in this interaction. But she felt healed in some way. And I felt healed. I mean, that's honestly why I acted that way, because it was healing for me to laugh about it rather than to yell at someone. So I hope you can take that into the world and inject a little bit more of the healer mentality into your day-to-day life. So thanks to Andrea for inspiring that conversation. Thanks to her and, and Edwin Ruiz for editing the amazing Creative Imposter Studios. As always, Liam O'Donnell, thanks for that great album art. And to Ben Mueller for our theme music. For more information on Andrea, you can visit our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. And you can always find Conversations with a Wounded Healer on Facebook and Twitter and Spotify and iTunes and all those fun, fun things. So please check the website for details. And thanks so much for tuning in. Take care.